Well, good morning, Westbridge Church, and happy Father's Day. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name is Eli, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westbridge. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about fathers. And I think uh, even if you're not a father, though, you're going to find something to take away in this talk. I am a father uh, to three awesome kids. I have Benjamin, who is eight. I have Adeline, who is seven, and Everly, who is three. But I want to take a moment to honor the fathers who are in the room here this morning. The topic of fatherhood is definitely a complicated one. Some of you had an awesome father, and your hope is that if you can just live up to be half as good of a dad as he was, that you'll be crushing it as a dad. Some of you didn't have a very present father or didn't have a good dad, and today brings up a reminder of the things that you never had, or maybe somewhere you fall somewhere in between. But today, I want to start by honoring the fathers here in this room and those of you who are with us online. We know that fatherhood can be challenging and full of good days and bad days, but I want to remind you that fatherhood is a marathon and not a sprint. There's another group of men who I want to honor today, and that's those of you who have chose to stand in the gap to help raise fathers or kids who needed fathers. Anyone can make a kid, but having a kid does not make you a father. I think we can all agree on the importance of having fathers in the home. I'm going to give you some sobering stats here. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in drug treatment centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison are from fatherless homes. And 90% of all runaways are from fatherless homes. Now please, If you're a single mom here, please hear my heart on this. I have two things to say to you this morning. The first thing is that that God's got you. David wrote in Psalm uh, 68, 5 and 6, he wrote, A father to the fatherless, defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. The second thing I want to say to you is that we got you. We love you and we think you're doing amazing. The first five years of my life, I was raised by a single mom. So I've not only seen that struggle, I've lived it. And you being here and engaging with Westbridge this morning is awesome. And I'm not saying that these stats are your future. Every statistic has an exception, and you can be that exception. And men, this is why volunteering here is so important. Whether it's Sundays or Wednesdays or summer camp, which starts tomorrow and it's not too late to volunteer for, That might be the only time a child gets to see a positive male role influence in their week. There's not a ton of things I'm confident in. Public speaking is not on that list. But being a father is something that came very naturally to me. And so I ignorantly thought this would be something easy to speak about. But I started uh, asking fathers in my life this question. What characteristics make a good dad? Sounds like an easy enough question, but while I was in these conversations, I was hearing things like, I have a complicated relationship with my father. I had to forgive him in my 30s. I don't have a good relationship with my father. What I learned in these conversations is that good dads are hard to find. So I'm going to ask you guys for some help this morning to help loosen me up a little bit, but I'm going to ask you that question. What characteristics make a good father? We're going to put five up on the board here. 
And before I start, I want to let you know I have a love-hate relationship with this dry erase board. You guys love it. Jeremiah uses it. There's some simple yet mind-blowing truth. There's usually like a circle involved. And you guys are like, it's brilliant. So, but I'm always sitting in the back and I'm watching your guys' heads as he writes. And you guys are just like... And so I'm going to do my best. I know something Jeremiah doesn't know. There's rulers. So we can get straight lines on this thing. So if you could help me, I'm going to ask you, what characteristics make a good father? I'm looking for five. Oh, thank you. Thank you for picking a long word to write. You can go for the next one. Commitment. I'm assuming there's two T's. Spelling is not a spiritual gift of mine. You guys are a little mean for picking long words. <laughs> what else? Patience. It's good. What else? Humor. Thank you. I, I, that's all I try to do. What else? Give me one more. Listening. All right. I want to let you know what your kids said makes a good father. Last week we handed out drawing sheets to the kids in the classroom with that question on it. And we got 50 kids to respond. And my intention was to show you some of these awesome drawings, but it turns out little kids are just terrible at drawing. <laughs> so <laughs> we can't do that. What we're going to do instead is we're going to family feud it. So we got the top four answers. And we're going to put them up on the board. We're going to read them together, if that's all right. So the number four answer was this. He gets me donuts. We're supposed to say this together. He gets me donuts. That's not a bad answer. Third most popular answer, he gives me money. It's great. The second answer had to do with character traits. He's kind or he's silly. But this is what's crazy. 44 out of the 50 kids said something to do with spending time with my dad. So these characteristics, they're, they're great. They're all things that we need. But what our young kids are valuing right now more than anything is our, our presence. And there's your circle. <laughs> so having a kid makes you a parent. But being present and showing up consistently and being engaged, that's what makes you a father. So I want to share with you some of my story today because I experienced both an absent father and a very present father. I lost my birth father when I was just a few months old to a heart attack, and I honestly thought this was a very unique and rare story until a few weeks ago at our men's barbecue group. And by the way, if you didn't join that group, there are some very talented barbecuers here at Westbridge. And there's one who's not very good, but he's trying. And that's what Westbridge is all about, right? It's come as you are, but don't stay that way. So the icebreaker question was, who would you want to meet? And the guy sitting next to me says, I'd like to meet my father. I lost him when I was a couple months old. Uh, my mom remarried when I was five. I was then adopted and raised by her new husband. And that story was my story down to the fact that it happened in Michigan. And for a second, I thought, I found a lost, long-lost brother. And I believe there's power in sharing your story. 
And we've said it here before, not everybody needs to know your story, but somebody should. And groups here at Westbridge is a great place for you to do that. My birth father's death didn't really affect me for most of my life. Thankfully, I was blessed to have a man who I call father step in, fill the void of being fatherless, and adopt me and my two older sisters into his family. It wasn't until I had kids of my own that this resentment started building up inside of me. I couldn't fathom how my birth dad could choose drinking over his kids. And I did what most men did, and I just I buried that so deep that I knew I would never have to deal with it. Recently, I was able to acknowledge that my birth dad and I do have some things in common. He was not a perfect man or father, and neither am I. He had his struggles, and so do I. But he's forgiven by God, and so am I. I've heard it said that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and hoping the rat will die. So my challenge for you this morning is that if you're holding on resentment or past hurts or pains for your father or anyone, my challenge for you is forgive them. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. I never gave him grace for being an imperfect father, and like many men in this room, I ended up forgiving my birth father in my 30s. But him dying at the age of 43 left a scar on me that I couldn't shake. I had this fear that I would follow in my birth father's footsteps and die young, leaving my wife and kids without a husband and a father. And I promised myself I would do everything in my power to not follow in his footsteps. But have you ever, have you ever noticed how God isn't good at letting you keep the stuff you bury stay buried? Just like we do as fathers and parents, when we see a behavior in our kids that we know needs correcting, we lead them in a better direction. We never see that behavior and say, well, that should get better on its own. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, he said, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. I feel like God did that with me in the most subtle ways. A few years back, one of our former youth pastors asked if I would be a leader with her on a missions trip to Haiti. It was an innocent enough question, but it really forced me to come face to face with do the question of, do I trust God with my kids? I immediately wanted to say no to her, but instead I did the Christian thing and said, I, I gotta pray about this. I also, I mean, I would love to go, but I gotta ask my wife too. Now at the time, our youngest was six months old. Our older two were three and four. And I was so very confident that any sane mother whose spouse asked her if he could leave for a week, no matter how noble of a reason, would 100% say, no, this is not the time. But of course she said, I should go. And now I had no one to hide behind and I had to face that fear. King Solomon wrote in Psalm 127, three through five, he says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now I'm not a big bow hunter, but I know that arrows go in the quiver and the quiver goes on your back. And I liked the idea of my kids being on my back 
protected, and safe from harm. But arrows are not made to stay in a quiver safe and protected. Arrows are made to fly. They are not meant to stay safe in the quiver. Before an arrow is released, though, it must be sharpened. And our kids need discipline. As fathers and parents, this is our season of sharpening. So sharpen your arrows. This might sound weird, but I got to this place where I knew everything would be okay no matter what happened on that missions trip. And on that trip, I met another dad. This is Trey Anderson. Yes, those are friendship bracelets we made for each other. (laughs) He's from Barnwell, South Carolina. He's about 10 years ahead of me in this parenting game. And we quickly became friends. Side note, you fathers who have been through what we're going through, man, help us. (laughs) Mentor, give advice, or simply tell us it'll get better and you're going to make it. But on the morning of September 18th, 2019, it was raining here in Minnesota. 1,300 miles away in Barnwell, South Carolina, Trey Anderson was watching Good Morning America and sipping his morning coffee. Now, you know how they cut away to like do the the weather all around the states? Well, he saw rain over Minnesota. And at that moment, he says, I popped into his head. Trey said he felt like he needed to pray for protection for me. So he did what good friends do, and he called to check on me. But I didn't answer because I was in an ambulance on the way to a hospital after being in a very serious car accident. Trey and I hadn't spoken for months, and he starts praying for the exact thing that I need in the exact moment I need it. I believe that saying yes to something that scared me, that mission strip, forced me to trust in God's promises, and it saved my life that day. The Bible talks about a healthy fear. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, 26, he says, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. If we as fathers are scared and afraid, where can our kids turn? Fathers are supposed to be steady and safe. We protect our children from harm. This verse, though, says fearing the Lord will protect our children, which basically means that fear is the solution to fear. Fear in the Lord means that we trust in his promises. Now, the Bible's full of promise after promise from God the Father, but this morning I just want to share five with you. The first promise is that he promises to be our strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God will never call you into something that he's not fully willing and able to support you in. He promises to hear our prayers. In John 14, 13 through 14, it says, You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. God promises that if we ask anything that's in line with his character and his purpose, he will answer. We don't always know how. We don't always know when. But we know he will. He promises that he'll fight for you. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Which might be the only time saying just stay calm ended a fight. He will fight for you even during the times that he calls you to take action. He will be the one to give you the strategy and he will still be right there with you fighting for you. He will give you peace. 
John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus gave us his peace. And this peace is not something you have to earn. It's already ours. He also promises he will always love us. 1 John 4, 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into this world so that we might have eternal life through him. His love for us will never change, and he proved that through the sacrifice of his one and only son. So yes, the proverb is true. Fear God. Fear distrusting him. Fear putting your assessment of a problem above his. He says he will help. He's smarter, he's stronger, and he's more generous. We can trust his promises. We need to face our fears so that we can help our kids face theirs. I got a video of me helping my son Benjamin face one of his fears. All right, are we doing it, Benner? I just kind of weird. I feel weird. Yeah, so there is audio. Sure oh, there it is. Break a little bit. There's a Lego down there, why don't you get it at a safe speed? Okay. What do you do if you start going too fast? Jump off or jump, jump off. Or do the brake. Alright. On your market set. Ride the brake. Don't paddle. <laughs> He's doing it! Yeah! Oh! Yes! Oh you thought this was like a parenting highlight video. Oh. It doesn't always work out great. Um, what you miss, as soon as that video cut, my wife Ashley goes, why would you listen to the parent with a broken femur? <laughs> but still, we help our kids face their fears. God wasn't a personal father in the Old Testament. God is seen as sovereign, mighty, and powerful, yet distant. But when Jesus comes on the scene, that shifts from impersonal to personal. And that's why when Jesus starts referring to God as his father, it was revolutionary in that day. We know that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, which is the Aramaic word Abba. Abba was a word used by their children for their father, something like Daddy or Papa today. But it was also used as a term of respect for adult children for their father. Even Jesus got to a place where he was so desperate that he cried for his papa. Mark 14, 36, Jesus says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. At the age that my kids are at, they're getting hurt all the time. I hear them cry for me and I get there as fast as I can, which is still not very fast. But I grab them and I hold them close and I comfort them. And that's something I love about being a father. I can't prevent my kids from getting hurt, but I can show up when they need me. I love being a strong dad. One of the hardest things about this healing process over the last two years was it felt like a giant wall was dropped between me and my kids that prevented me from being physically the dad that I wanted to be. I love the wrestling, the chasing, the piggyback rides. That stuff was second nature to me. But what I was forced to do was work on the stuff that's harder for me to do. The conversations, the reading at bed, meeting them where they're at. 
doing things that they like, that stuff took effort. Before my accident, I loved getting the kids ready for school and walking to the bus stop. I saw my daughter turn from fearful to brave in the matter of a few weeks. The accident happened in September, and it wasn't until five months later in February that I was able to take the kids back to the bus stop, which meant Ashley finally got a morning to sleep in. As I made breakfast for the kids, we talked, and I grabbed a ponytail holder for my daughter, Addie, and I caned over to her. She said, what are you doing, Dad? I said, I'm going to do your hair. She said, do you even know how to do a ponytail? I quickly and confidently replied, I'm your dad. I can do anything. She grabbed my face. She pulled me in close, and without missing a beat, she said, well, you can't run, can you? I don't know where she gets her sense of humor. It's not from her mother. (laughs) But we need to work on our weaknesses. My mom had been a mother for about three years when she, or sorry, my mom had been a widow for about three years when she felt like God was saying, it's time to get married again. So she said no, twice. If you're wondering where my stubbornness comes from, you have to look no further than my mom. So she started praying about qualities in this future husband. Her list probably had a lot of uh, these qualities on there as well. And when she finished the list, she looked at it and said, well, that's boring. And this is her story. She says she heard God say, that's not boring. That's steady. And you need steady. Webster's Dictionary defines steady as direct or sure in movement, firm in position, not easily disturbed or upset, constant in feeling, principle, purpose, or uh, attachment. So let's be steady dads. Let's be steady moms. Steadiness and stability equals safety for our kids. On July 20th, 1990, my sisters and I were adopted by my dad, Thomas Berkman. We still affectionately refer to that judge as Popeye. The judge made such, this is so long ago, it's a Polaroid, okay? All right, it's, I, it's probably different now. But the judge made such a big deal about the adoption because he said 90% of all his cases were families splitting up. And so he celebrated that day with us. Now this might not come to a shock to some of you who know me, but I had the reputation of being a little injury prone when I was younger. But then I had this amazing run of no accidents from like my mid-20s to my mid-30s. And then something changed. I started working here at a church. (laughs) To my knowledge, I never lost consciousness the day of the accident. And I remember coming to and seeing my wife in the corner of the hospital room. She was calm, but looked pretty concerned. Which as I started to assess my current situation, I thought that fit. I had no idea I'd been repeating the same questions for hours. What happened? Are the kids okay? Is the other driver okay? I guess after hours of that, she wasn't sure if I'd ever get back to normal. And if she's honest, she still might be waiting for that. (laughs) My father was not prepared for what he saw when he entered the hospital room. His boy that he had chosen 29 years ago laying bruised and broken in front of him. And I can't imagine that feeling as a father, and I hope that's something I never have to go through. But as his heart broke, mine grew stronger because I looked at him 
And I knew everything was going to be okay because Papa was here. He showed up when I was young and he showed up consistently and he built a foundation of trust. He was steady. And I knew that's that, that when I needed him most, he would be there for me. So show up now, show up consistently, and show up when you're needed. You know that old Beatles song, All You Need Is Love? It's a great song, but it's, it's full of lies. <laughs> love is not all you need. Love alone is not enough. Sometimes our kids will make it very difficult to love them. I'm in a season where I find myself saying things very frequently like, why are you hitting each other? Please don't stab your brother in the butt with scissors. <laughs> love alone does not give you influence over your kid's life. Our kids should know that there's nothing that they can do to make us love them less. We might not always like them, but we will always love them. And this starts when they're young, but it's never too late to start. Just like investing money, the earlier you do it, the greater the returns, but it's never too late to start investing. Unconditional love plus time equals relationship. And it's not our job to wait for our kids to meet us where we're at, to do things that we're interested in. It's our job to enter our kid's world. I tried to protect my son Benjamin from the evil world of Pokemon, but I have failed. He loves trading with the neighborhood kids. He loves telling me what the card's gonna evolve to. And so I decided to meet him where he was at, and I downloaded Pokemon Go on my phone. Now if you know anything about Pokemon Go, there's different stops around every city where you get free stuff. And I'm too cheap to spend any money on this app. One of these stops is at a local bank in town where I happen to be friends of the president. So on a Friday, I was on my way to do something super manly, which is to help a buddy move a 400-pound gun safe to his basement. But this bank was right there, so I pull in, and I start getting some free stuff for my boy. And there's a knock at the window. It's my buddy. He's like, hey, what are, you, what are you doing in my parking lot? You know how they say, like, the truth will set you free? I didn't feel very free when I was telling him I was playing Pokemon in his parking lot. But <laughs> I was meeting my boy where he was at. And I don't apologize for that. Love alone does not give you influence over your kid's life. Our kids should know that there's nothing they can do to make us love them less. I think as dads, we should want to leave a legacy that goes far beyond our family. My challenge for you this morning is to be part of a cause or a mission that's bigger than you and that's bigger than your family. We have a lot of those opportunities here. We need men to step up, to stand in the gap, to lead your family by showing them your next right step. That could mean getting baptized, or joining a serving team, or leading a missions trip. You never know, it just might save your life. Last year, nine dads rode 100 miles on behalf of the fatherless and raised over $11,000 for our global partner, Venture. Venture goes to some of the toughest, poorest, least reached places in the world, helps feed people, helps rescue kids from sex trafficking, and gives them a future. Venture's mission is a hard mission to not get behind. When I heard about this ride, I was inspired. 
a physical challenge coming off a horrific leg injury, I was all in. I even stood up here multiple times and challenged men to join. My pitch was brilliant. I have a broken femur. I'm going to ride. What's your excuse? Well, it turns out I was 100% lying. It was unintentional, but my leg just wasn't healing right. When I asked my doctor and my physical therapist, I think they laughed at me and without hesitation said, no, no, you can't ride. But this morning I want to share with you one of the, a story of one of the dads who did ride with us. This is Matt Eklund's story. My name is Matt Eklund. I've been attending Westbridge for just about two years. I am a husband and a father of four. First time I heard about the Fathers for the Fatherless ride was during a church service. I've always wanted to do something kind of like a physical achievement. At 100 miles, that's no simple feat, so it felt like it was that, that level of physical achievement. The cause is really what kept me committed to it, and the cause for the fundraising and what Fathers for the Fatherless does, um, but then also kind of that role model piece of taking a challenge, you know, do something impossible, that the impossible isn't impossible. Before riding a 100 miles in the century ride, the farthest I had ridden in one shot was, oh man, less than 10 miles for sure. The day of the ride was, um, it was a special day. We started early, it was cool. I remember gathering in front of the church with all the guys. I don't know, it was a peaceful morning. The, the part of the ride that really struck uh, I guess adversity in me, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally was uh, at mile 65, I got a flat tire. Now I'm set back from the group chasing them the whole way. That was deflating, if nothing else. <laughs> I think the highest moment of the day for me, short of finishing, I'm chasing the pack, I'm battling adversity, my own inner thoughts. Um, but I pictured the finish line, and I pictured everybody, all, all of the, the people from Westbridge that had gathered to support us. It was at that point I broke down and started bawling. Personally, that was the highest point that I experienced that day, um, was that release of emotion. The finish line was bittersweet. Group of people there to welcome us in, go across the finish line, and then the embrace of my family and my kids. So the finish line was special. That was, that was great. Uh, one of the things that kept driving me through is reminding myself what he did for us and the pain that he suffered for us. To compare myself to that and give up on myself because I had a side ache, my legs hurt, or what, what it was, um, that was the first motivator for me and the motivator for me throughout the training rides. To the dad out there, or the dad-to-be out there um, that is considering the ride and teetering on it, it's a leap of faith to, to jump in and, and do it. It's to prove something not just to myself, but to my family and to my community that I can do this. To that father that's teetering on it, jump in, have some faith. You got it, man. You, I mean, you can do this. You commit and you will finish. That's a promise. Part that got cut, I asked him, 
if he's ridden his bike since, and he said no. <laughs> so we're all starting together here. I bought my bike last Monday, as in six days ago Monday. I went on my first training ride Friday. The deadline for this ride is next Sunday, and we'll have dads out at the Next Steps desk if you have any questions for those of you who are thinking about it. And I think I can confidently say this year, hopefully I'm not lying, but I broke my femur 20 months ago. It's been a very long road back. But come ride with us. Come be part of something bigger than you, bigger than your family. That'll change the trajectory of the fatherless. If you can't ride, run support. If you can't run support, you can cheer at the finish line. And these aren't the only opportunities we have here. It's just the next big one that we have. Sign up to serve in kids or youth ministry or join a serving team. But I challenge you to be part of something bigger than yourself. There's a story in the Bible of a guy named Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. Jacob's name in Hebrew means the one who follows on another's heels. He was fighting his twin brother even before they were born. For most of his life, Jacob was known as being deceitful, cunning, and manipulative. He even stole his brother's birthright. The story goes that Jacob ended up wrestling with God, and Jacob refused to surrender, and the only thing he could do was cling to God. But a mere touch on Jacob's hip forced him to surrender and admit his need for God. God then blessed Jacob and gave him a new name, which was Israel, which means he who struggles or strives with God. In his weakness, Jacob asked for and received a blessing from God. I'll say that again. In his weakness, Jacob asked for and received a blessing from God. Jacob's blessing was not a result of his own strength, but it came through desperate weakness. Jacob, who's now Israel, he was a new creation. He was filled with God's blessing and a divine purpose to establish the nation of Israel. If the story ended there, that would probably be enough for me. He wanted to change so he fought to change. He was tired of being deceiving or manipulating, and he fought to change who he was because he wanted something better. He fought so hard that he limped the rest of his life, and that's not the only reason I like him. But we live in a time where men are told not to fight and to be passive and apathetic. But my challenge for you this morning, fellas, if you don't like where your life is at, you need to fight. If you don't like where you're at spiritually or physically, fight. If you don't like where things are at with, with, with your spouse or your kids, fight. Fight to change because apathy will get you nowhere. Jacob's story doesn't end with his transformation. He had 12 children and his wife Rachel ends up dying giving birth to his last son. In her dying breath, she names her son Ben-Oni, which translates to son of my sorrow, or son of my trouble. How would you like that name? What's your name? I uh, killed my mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Jacob, who's now Israel, he knows the power in a name. And he looks at his boy and he says, I don't want that to be your future. So Israel rejects the name Ben-Oni and he looks at his new baby son. He says, no. You are not a son of trouble or pain. 
That's not what your future is going to be. And he changes his name. He changes it to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. I think that's what God does with us. We sit here and we think our brokenness defines us. We think that we're the sum of our mistakes. We think our brokenness makes us unworthy, but God, our Heavenly Father, looks at us and says, you're not who you say you are. You're not your divorce. You're not your addiction or your sickness. You're not your failures. You're not an orphan. You're not a widow. You're my kid. I'm your Abba, and you're my Benjamin. You're my right hand, and if you trust me, if you trust my promises, I'll do great things through you. That's my challenge for you guys this morning. Trust in God's promises. You're not who you think you are. He's your Abba. Story of the Bible, cover to cover, is that God's building a family and he wants you to be in it. If you've never said yes to that invitation, I'd invite you to do that this morning. You can accept that invitation by following with this simple prayer. Father, please forgive me. Please forgive my sins and for the times I've walked away from you. I admit that I'm broken and that I need you. I want you to change the trajectory of my life. I want to say yes to your invitation. Adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Help me to trust you and to follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.